Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Air horns, air horns, air horns. Whole lot of... Whole lot of air horns and big up all the nation, straight resident Toronto. Party hours and yours. I love this. Uh, <laughs> yes. For one thing, I have not been to a club in a while, so I do miss uh, 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 that that reggaeton sound. Um, Masha top. Yes. Prop. Hey, how, how you doing today? This is behind the bastards. Uh, I feel like my I'm already going through stuff, but I feel like you' about to make it increasingly worse. So I'm a. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> This is, I'm anticipating being very sad. At this isn't going to be a happy one. Prop, how do you feel about Ireland? Oh <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about Ireland. I yeah. feel like yeah, we like. I feel like Ireland probably got the greatest slang in the whole wide world. Incredible they just so slang, reverent. Yeah, like y'all just y'all just hate everybody, you know, and. I like the pissiness. I like the you don't take the irreverence. Y'all mm-hmm. don't take nothing serious, you know. Yeah, it's the, the y- yeah. You know, when you're doing a contest of like islands where a lot of bad things have been done to them, um, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of competition, you know. Uh, it really is. But 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 boy, Ireland really up 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 in the let's say the top quarter of that pack. <laughs> I tell you, you know, they're what, high man, up there. <laughs> they pretty up there, especially because like they they wasn't drafted into white people until much later. You know what I'm saying? It, it like, did take y'all them a didn't while. Even get to be white mm-hmm. until like that's cold. That's cold as ice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like we the northern part of the same island, and we can't get to be white people. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 quite a it's quite a tale. <laughs> um, now, prop. How do you feel about the English? Well. <laughs> 
will say this. They have a track record of just shitting on the rest of the yeah. earth. Yep. For like yeah. just the most efficient, uh, just the with the greatest efficiency. Like I, I, I've never like, I don't know how that little island was able to shit on the whole earth it, as well it, as they had. It'd be fair to say they're like the New England Patriots of nations. I, it really is mm-hmm. just the Tom Brady mm-hmm. of country. Yeah, that's just, right. Just can't lose. Yeah. Just, I will say though, <laughs> kept I am going. Like, Yes, I am in the in the midst of finishing a uh, Top Boy, so as of right now, I'm like East London, isn't it? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. selling the food. So right now, I'm like now. Granted, <laughs> I will say this: I've noticed what made London cool is what made everything else cool, which is the presence of black people. Mm-hmm. Because why Top Boy is so dope, it's the Jamaican immigrants mm-hmm. that like created this whole type of slang. It's calm, bro. Mm-hmm. It's that. Yeah. A big so the only reason I'm enjoying this because I'm just like, hey, black people make everything mm-hmm. cool. That's a, <laughs> so, yeah. It's a big part of why London Calling is such a good album. Now, Prop, today, yeah. first off, I'm glad you've been scoping that because we're really going to need to lean on the English accents here for comedy relief because it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to okay. do a lot of that. I've, I've been practicing my, my posh. So we'll, we'll give that okay. a shot. Um, we're talking today about the thing that is most commonly called the potato famine. Yes. Um, one thing that Irish people will point out is that there was no such thing as a potato famine. Um, and the argument they will make is that, like, well, there was a potato blight, but Ireland had plenty of food. Uh, the famine was entirely caused by there, it was it was a, a, a famine caused by English people, right? It was a famine <laughs> caused by the 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 ruling class of the British Empire. It was not a famine caused by a potato bug, and that is accurate. Um, yeah, yeah, they have a bug. It is, yeah. <laughs> No, no, they don't. Leave it to the Brits to, like, do a genocide and blame it on a vegetable. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, y'all. I'm trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. We was just doing, minding our own business, Mm -hmm. and then the potato decided to die. Yeah, what what, what do you want us to do? The potato made the call. (laughs) Like... It's calm and all that. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. There's a lot of different takes you see from empires that commit genocides. You know, Turkey just decided to pretend that nothing bad ever happened to Armenian people. Uh, the Germans seem broadly to have embraced that they did some bad things, but yeah, they're down to at least say the, the okay guys. The British are okay. <laughs> pointing to produce in the grocery store and being like, "No, that's what you got to be angry at." <laughs> um, I don't know if you ever dated somebody who was just ferociously never wrong like would say mm-hmm. stuff that's like mm-hmm. there's being right and then there's being less right yeah and i think in this situation mm-hmm. i'm just less right yeah, yeah that that's that's i that's that's england again yeah that's 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 the old that's that's old john bull um which is the thing <laughs> people used to call england um so have you, have you ever have you ever been to ireland prop no man, it's it's on my bucket list. I, I I've been there a bunch. I love I love going to Ireland. Particularly, I really like Dublin. And if you if you go to Dublin, which is a beautiful town, um, Galway's pretty great too. I like. There's a lot of great places in Ireland. But if you go to Dublin, um, and you head to Custom House K, you will see okay. a series of statues. And they're kind of there's like this street, you know, with a, a sidewalk next to it. 
And there's a bunch of statues of like wraith-like human beings marching along this this little chunk of sidewalk. There's a one of them has oh. a mother clutching a di- dying baby to her breast. The other is like carrying either just like a passed out or the corpse of a starved child over her shoulders. And it's it's this a, sounds it, terrible. It's the famine memorial, and it's a really okay. really affecting memorial. And it's just kind of uh-huh. like in the middle of things, you know. Um, yeah. And they it's one of those. One of the th- reasons I really appreciate that memorial is if you do spend a lot of time, as I have, in parts of the world where you come across, like, starving people and refugees, mm-hmm. it's um, whoever made the memorial knew knew what they were doing. And I think there was, like, yeah. a conscious attempt to, uh, um, like, there, there was an understanding of, like, how that looks. It, it's pretty affecting. Um, so. so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and and what's... The- the great the hunger, not potato famine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the not a potato famine. Yeah, um, and it it is interesting that these, and I think what's kind of so compelling about this to me is that like all of the people who died and the thing we're about to talk about, um, this this was I think it's fair to say an act of genocide. That's certainly something that like one of our main sources today, uh, Tim yeah. Pat Coogan, will claim. But it was mm-hmm. not a genocide that kind of usually when you have something like this, it comes as the result of like a civil war or at least a bloody conflict of some there's some sort of like fight. Um, and then there is kind of an ethnic cleansing or a killing. Um, that's not really the case with the great hunger. Um, it's okay. it's more a genocide that's kind of the result of pure venal greed and free market ideology taken to the status of a religion. Um, yes. And it's 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 quite a tale. We're going to discuss the death toll a little bit later. For now, I'm just going to point out that the pre-famine population uh, of Ireland was a little bit less than 9 million people. Um, today, there are just north of 5 million people in Ireland. Um, and in fact, last year is when Ireland first reached 5 million in population since the famine. Um, it is Honest. probably, Wicked, yeah, it's probably the only nation on earth to have fewer people today than it did in the 1840s. That's, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, man's, is, <laughs> man's is proper wicked, bruv. Mm-hmm. That's, they needed I, the peas for the food. <laughs> I'm 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 sorry, y'all. Like I'm really deep into Top Boy right now. Uh, that's 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 fine. I'm I'm very deep into. I, I I'm still gearing up to 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 try out my my English accent. We we yeah, we dusted it off for one of the Kissinger episodes, and you you were going off into Kissinger. We were episodes. we were going I'm, off a little bit. We were yeah, trying to do that like good. posh yaya thing. Um, and so yeah, the thing about my like I know it's bad, but the the best part about like how to do this one is because it's part Jamaican, so. You can kind of like, if you lean to Patois, it's like, it's okay because they're Jamaican immigrants. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like, that's my only out. But at the same time, bruv, it's calm, bruv. Like, it's not good. I know it's not good. You the, know? the best I can do is, well, I don't see why we have to have people who aren't English on the planet. It doesn't seem really <sighs> particularly feasible, but hmm. They're quite a ball. You both owe Hanrahan an apology. I apologize. I, I mean, yes. At the same time, though. For a number of this things. This is great, though. <laughs> I, d- I do apologize ahead of time anytime I do a British accent to Jake. Yes. Um, my greatest, should. my good, my, my posh, my posh British is, give him the old what for. There we go. Uh, okay. Oh, there we go. I like that, though. Nailing it. But, give the old what for. I will say this, though. I We're have noticed to. after touring through the UK enough, like doing music, like I finally figured out like that there, 
And of course, duh, that there's like regional accents. So like, I get it now when you're like in Birmingham, they do the Birmingham. Like they got that, that, that thing. Well, I, I think what we can certainly say is that we will be getting revenge for all of England's crimes by doing a variety of bad accents. I feel like that's the episode. only, yeah. yeah, you was able to conquer the world. <laughs> the least you can do is have to tolerate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going to get angry when I mispronounce Northampton or whatever. Um, yes. <laughs> so, whatever. Uh, to explain how all of this happened, um, how, like, th so many people were killed um, or were allowed to die, we're going to have to go back in history quite a bit uh, to the very birth of the British Empire. Um, because in a lot of ways, Ireland was kind of the first colonial possession of the empire. Um, now, prior hmm. to English conquest of Ireland, um, the island maintained a history of pretty ferocious independence. It was never even close to being colonized by the Romans. They kind of like stop at, at Scotland, more or less, like they're trying to get up yeah. north, but they build that wall like... It's a mess, you know, trying to trying to get up that far. As you might know, far, yeah, the, yeah it, England not super close to Rome. Uh, <laughs> Ireland you even a bit tired, further. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Like, um, it's already far enough. This far enough. Yeah, you know. So yeah. you know, the, the, Ireland pretty pretty much doing its own thing for that period of time, and then in like 1066, you get the Normans, which are kind of like basically the French uh, conquer England. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after that point, you know, the, the English kings are Norman kings, right? So not that long after the Normans conquer England, uh, in Ireland, there's this guy, uh, Brian Baru, who is a high king. And he, he, the Normans try to invade Ireland, and he defeats their armies and throws them back. Um, or at least that's kind of how history is often summarized. The reality is a lot more complex, but, you know, this is not that in-depth uh, an Irish history podcast. So, like, most parts cool. of medieval Europe, Ireland, you know, you've got a bunch of little kingdoms, you've got a bunch of, like, different kings, and they're all uh, at war with each other pretty often, like most yeah. places in the world. Um, you got a bunch of people who, who are fighting with each other all the time. Um, and so while the Normans are in charge in England, there's this Irish king named uh, Jarmide McMurrah, um, and he, he gets into a little bit of a scrap with some of his neighbors. So he kind of accidentally on purpose kidnaps the wife of one of his rivals. Um, Word. and that doesn't go great for him. So he, he winds up inviting the Normans to Ireland to help him deal with this little squabble, um, oh, which will pr Look, prove to have been mistake a mistake. <laughs> you yeah. don't invite the English yet. Yeah. Mistake yeah. number one. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yes, all this is happening in like the mid 1100s, right? This this Irish king is like, "Hey, Normans, come on over, help me out. I kidnapped a lady, and it didn't go great for me." Um, and and when the Normans get invited over to Ireland, there's a pope, right? You know, popes are a big deal in the 1100s. There's not really point, yeah. like that's kind of the only game in town, unless you're going Orthodox, right? Like if you're yeah. Christian, it's it's pretty much the popes or nothing. Um, and the Pope at this time was a guy named Adrian, and he's actually the only English person they've ever let be Pope, um, which might key you in on how bad an idea it was to let an English person be the Pope. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> We're already in the 1100s. <laughs> this is the last had... time they try that shit. They bring, also... a, they bring a Nazi in to be Pope before they I'm let like, another British person like, do yeah. it. Yeah, I'm like, and them track, they got, they got a pretty spicy track record. Yeah. And for them to be like, I don't know about them, I don't know about them. You know, that didn't work though. out at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Um, so Adrian, uh, this English Pope, he, he, uh, the Normans kind of come to him and they're like, they work out a deal. And so he gives the King of England at this point, Henry II, a papal bull, which is like, you know, a Pope, uh, announcement law type dealy, right? When the Pope declares a thing, that's a papal bull kind of, um, my Catholic, uh, audiences screaming at me for inaccurately describing what a papal bull is but whatever he issues this papal bull that legitimizes their invasion of the ireland um and so there's this basically what, good at those. what has happened here is the english crown have made a deal with the papacy to colonize ireland which is seen as wild and still pretty pagan um, yeah. So that's that that that's what happens at this point when the Normans get invited over, they make this deal with the Pope to to Christianize the the pagan Irish, um, and to to discuss what it's comes good practice next. for uh, it's a good practice for the Americas for the Americas for I mean yeah. that's one of the points yeah. that like there's a pretty good book called um, the invention of the white race that goes into yeah. this in more detail, but like most of the techniques that the British Empire would use in places in Southeast Asia, in Africa, in in the Americas, mm-hmm. were kind of tested out in Ireland, yeah, right? Yeah, on the Ireland. Yeah. Irish, yeah. Um, and for what comes next here, I'm going to read a quote by Irish scholar Tim Pat Coogan in his book, The Famine Plot. From the Vatican's point of view, the attraction of this arrangement lay in the fact that Rome would exert its authority through the appointment of hand-picked bishops rather than having to struggle to assert its influence over powerful Irish abbots, who hitherto had often been appointed by the families who controlled the extensive church lands and monasteries. The attraction for the Normans was straightforward. It gave them access to Irish land, which, with their advances in agriculture, they were able to exploit far more profitably than were the cattle-herding Irish. And so Christ and Caesar came to be hand-in-glove. Unfortunately, when Henry VIII defied the Pope by divorcing his wife to marry Anne Boleyn, the gloves came off between King and Pope, with disastrous results for the Irish. From the time of Henry VIII's breaking with Rome, England became a Protestant nation, and Ireland remained a Catholic one. Thus, apart from the inevitable attempts by a large country to subordinate a smaller country, England's religious wars became superimposed on Ireland also. Not alone would the Catholic Irish lose their lands, they would also be forced to pay for the upkeep of the Protestant clergy. Not surprisingly, in a land where the poet is both feared and revered, Native Irish resentment at the superimposition of Protestantism found its expression in a bitter verse by Rafferty, the famous blind Irish poet. Don't talk of your Protestant minister or his church without temple or state, for the foundation stone of his religion was the bollocks of Henry VIII. Which uh, is pretty good little poem. <laughs> that's a good little bar. Yeah, that's a good, that's I re- solid. I would love to see like, mm-hmm. man, I wish there was like an alternate like sort of multiverse timeline where the Irish just rejected the idea of joining whiteness. It's, if they uh, were just, yeah. If they were just like, you know what, man? Nah, fam. Nah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just wonder like where we would be at now. Obviously, uh, our understanding of race being so intermixed with like colorism and stuff yeah. like that. But what if them fools was just like, fuck y'all. Nah, we ain't one of you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because of shit like this, where it's like, not only did y'all try to colonize us, you even tried to like, I mean, y'all sprayed y'all faith on us too. You know what I'm saying? Which was like, <laughs> Oh, and then you were like, absolutely, the actually we not. Got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, first of all, it, like y- y'all just, you a subversion of our own faith. You acting like you invented something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like, man, that'd have been, I would have loved to have seen some sort of like alternate timeline where Irish were just like black people. Like we were just like. Well, and there's, I mean, <laughs> there, there's a lot that like, cause one of the things that happens, you know, you, you've got Oliver Cromwell who invades course, Ireland yeah. and like. If you look at the Irish countryside, one thing you might notice is that, like, 
there's weirdly not a lot of like old growth forests or uh, mm-hmm. wild animals because they got murdered. Like, like yeah. Crom- Cromwell like kills the land to a significant yeah. extent. It's like pretty, there's a lot of like horrible, terrible, fucked up war crimes <laughs> that go on in this period. Yes. Um, and a lot of it's seen as, like I said a little earlier, that like there was this attitude of like, there's a lot of like pagan wildness in Ireland. Yeah. That doesn't mean that like Christianity isn't there, right? The Normans yeah, and the Catholic course. Church don't bring Christianity to Ireland. It's been there for quite a while. Yeah. But there's also this attitude that like, um, there's something kind of like feral about the Irish people. You mm. you see that a lot in kind of the way in which these people write about Ireland in this time. Yeah. Um, and there is, I think, an extent like again, a lot has been written, and that's not really not the focus of this episode on like how the Irish became white. And I'm fairly certain there's actually a book by that title. Um, yeah, I, but, I learned a lot of that in like my like undergrad studies, like that the process yeah. of like. De- disenfranchising slaves and like when the, yeah. and all this good stuff and like Shay's rebellion and all this stuff that like kind of tied Irish yeah. to whiteness at least in the Americas. But and, yeah, and anyway. yeah, but and it, it is important. Like a lot of that does happen in the Americas because when you actually look in Ireland, there is as much as there's histories of other things, there is a, a significant history of like rejection of of aspects mm-hmm. of that identity, and yeah. you, you see little signs of that in a bunch of things, including the fact that if you go to like a, a football game in Ireland today, there's a decent chance you're going to see a lot of Palestinian flags. Yeah. There's a long history of like kind of solidarity and whatnot that comes with being a colonized people. Um, that's not the only thing, because also it's worth noting that as with like the Scots, a shitload of the soldiers of the British Empire who were doing this whole making an empire thing are Irish people too. So yeah. it's it's a bunch of stuff's happening. Um so English domination of Ireland was not a clean process. It didn't happen all at once. This is going on for a period of kind of centuries. It's being sort of ironed out. Uh, as a rule, Irish lords ruled most of the land in Ireland through the 1200s to the early like 1600s. Um, And, and, you know, it's the stuff we've been talking about. There's fighting in between these different lords. There's alliances. Some of them are, like, backing the English to, like, fuck over their neighbors. Pretty Uh normal feudalism stuff. Um, Celtic Ireland, as it's generally called, was divided between four or five lords at any given time, the bulk of the land. Um, And they distributed, like, the land that was under their control to lower chiefs and to, like, septs in in, in what were called land usages. And in exchange for this land, basically, again, it's the pretty normal feudalism deal. You've got to hand over a portion of your agricultural produce for the Lord. And if there's a war, you've got to, like, help, you know, give him bodies, basically. Standard. Yeah. You got these guys and they got their they got their guys. Um, Uh it's, It's pretty normal, pretty normal feudalism stuff, which is. Not all that different from organized crime, but with better outfits. Um, yeah. I like most government. Um, yeah. So Henry VIII becomes king, as we discussed, and he kind of staggers dick first into the history of religion. Um, as crazy, like, if, yeah. if there was a way, I would love to be there for the Henry VIII story. That well, Maybe we'll get to that at one point. That's a little yeah. further back than we usually do. I'll probably yeah, do Cromwell. Back. Probably do Cromwell before we do oh, Henry okay. VIII. Cause, I mean, Cromwell's after, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm just like, listen, if there's any like sort of if you are if you are a Christian or Protestant in any way, shape or form, like you there's no way. In the, I don't care what your theology is. Your hat has to go off to Henry VIII. That, it, like, it's um, an incredible flex. Like in, that in was complete that fairness. was amazing. He just got to like, start a denomination just yeah. because because he needed the punani. Yeah. He he invented the what is it the Anglican, Anglican. church? Yeah, because he yeah, wanted he, he, he wanted to fuck differently. I'm um, like this look incredible. Bro. 
guy. respect dog yeah like i was like you there's look human to human sit your theology down for a second mm -hmm. respect dude bro yeah it's anyway. it's it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty cool yeah. so <laughs> one of the things that henry the eighth does because he's 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 not happy that the irish aren't willing to give up their religion uh mm. because he wanted to fuck um <laughs> And there's other stuff, like, there's a lot of, like, Irish raids mm -hmm. on the English coast. There's kind of fighting within Ireland. So, anyway, he, he decides, and Ireland's been troublesome for quite enough time. And, and, <laughs> and he makes a declaration that all Irish lands, whether they're owned by Gaelic, Irish, or English transplants, have to, descender, have to surrender their, their land to the crown. And then the crown's going to give them back, right? So, what he's doing, he's not mm -hmm. actually trying to take their land away, but he's trying to make it clear that everyone who owns land in Ireland owns it through the King of England. England, right um that's pretty gangster that's pretty mobster right there he wants everybody to um to bend the knee you know that, yeah that's, it's, that's both, it's basically both here, of right? ours yeah. yeah um so the irish a lot of people in ireland i should say uh, aren't super happy with this right um it, it's yes. and, and so they rebel uh and this kicks off a series of wars that go throughout like the early 1600s there's a, a number of rebellions one of them's led by a guy named odorty uh, and in 1608, he loses this rebellion. And he had owned, mm -hmm. like, he was one of these guys who's owned a shitload of Irish, Irish land. Um, and because he loses this rebellion, all of the land he's owned uh, is granted to the Lord Deputy, a guy named Sir Arthur Chichester, which is Chichester. weirdly, Chichester's a name, both as a first and a last name that you're going to hear a couple of times in this story. I had never heard it before this. Terrible name. Yeah. Wow. Terrible name. Not like Adority, which is a good name. I like That's pretty I dope. like it's It's always fun. Uh, always fun saying Chichester. saying Irish names. Um, so n England had only kind of, I mean, the, uh, part of how England wins the victories in these wars they're finding. It's not just them coming in as it, as will be the case with like all of their colonial wars. They're not just sending in an army and crushing the local opposition. They are mm -hmm. allying with Irish rebels, right? And they're kind of playing these different chieftains, or not with rebels, but they're playing these different chieftains off each other. So some of these Irish chieftains stay loyal to the crown and they fight on behalf of the crown against other Irish people, right? And that's okay. how it's it's going to be the same in Africa, right? With these yeah, groups like totally. the King's African Rifles and whatnot. You know, that's yeah. where we get our Idi Amin's and whatnot is these mm -hmm. colonial soldiers who are getting played against other, you know, indigenous peoples. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a bummer. It's a real bummer and this is not I, I had said previously that ireland's kind of the first colony of england that doesn't mean it's the first place that the english like conquer that's yeah. not england right because they they take wales and they take scotland first right yeah. um but those again there's people probably in both places who will argue but i think there's a difference with what happens in those places and what happens in ireland that makes ireland more of a a colony situation because people always are conquering each other right yeah. they do it everywhere they do it in africa they do yeah. it in china they do all, all, every every group of human beings there have been some who have like conquered others what what we start to see happening in this developing colonial period is different and one of the things that's really different is that when when the english you know take have the fight their fights with scotland the same thing happens where there's groups of nobles in scotland who side with the english English crown and help crack mm -hmm. down on rebellions and there's groups that rebel same thing happens in Wales but once those wars are over the Welsh and Scot lords who had sided with the English crown get a piece of the pie right yeah like they get integrated to a yeah. signi pretty significant extent and like the ruling class of this this forming thing that's going to become the United Kingdom yeah. um 
And so a lot of these Irish chieftains who side with the crown think like, well, something like this is going to happen with us, right? Which seems like a good deal. You know, it's not yeah, going it's, bad for the these these folks. You, you, yeah, it's like it's it's when assimilation works. Yeah. Right. Like, it's like we'll just assimilate you into the culture and everything's everything's fine. Yeah. It and seems it, like this yeah. is the, I mean, yeah. And 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 that's kind of what a lot of these folks who have sided with the crown expect to happen in Ireland, but yeah. it's not how things work out. And I want to quote next from the book, The Invention of the White Race by Theodore Allen. Mm-hmm. The option for racial oppression left no room in the ranks of the colonial upper, cra- upper class for Catholic Irish chieftains, for all that some of them might wear the title sir. The English, therefore, proceeded systematically with the repudiation of their promises to their Irish wartime allies. Whether they had been enemies or allies in the Tyrone War, whether they flew to arms or merely protested at court, the Irish of chieftain class were to be demoted socially to the status of no more than small landlords, politically excluded from posts of authority, and placed socially beyond the pale of British respectability. Tanistry and gavelkind, the Celtic forms of succession and inheritance, were outlawed. Irish chieftains might be expropriated and put to death for making an appeal based on Celtic law, and the practice of the Catholic religion was outlawed. Britons were forbidden to acquire land from Britons, that is, English or Scots. They were to get it from the Irish. In the six Ashedid Ulster counties, only a score of the deserving Irish were allowed to keep as much as 1,000 acres of land. They just... Yeah. It's so bad. And it's like, I know I'm looking back at history, you know, I'm kind of like Monday morning quarterbacking here, but like, it just seems so arbitrary. Well, a lot of this is, is wrapped up in the Catholicism Anglican split. It's gotta be that, right? Cause I'm just like, chunk of it. I mean, like, cause again, like to this day, like, you know, with the way these people feel about Italians where I'm like, why not them? I'm like, is it, why they don't count? I'm like, is it, is it the, anyway yeah it it has to be the the religion thing and then being able to fold that into your your construction of yeah it's yeah because it, it, it starts it, it does it, it, and it's just that like these initial divisions uh and the the kind of conflicts they spawn just keep deepening over time because it doesn't yeah until the irish are even more than just sort of a subject a subject people um seen as like a conquered people who have to be kind of brutally kept in their place. Like this is a kind of an evolving understanding. None of this happens overnight. Um, and I'm like, but yeah, by and large, I'm like, relatively speaking, the space between the British and the Irish is like LA and the Valley. Like uh, it's, yeah, there's uh, I mean, there's suburbs uh, in the United States that are closer to their cities of origin than like or, like or further than like Dublin yes. is from from London. I'm like, yeah, it's not even it's not even like to San Francisco. It's not even mm-hmm. L.A. to San Francisco. I'm like, yo, like they they round the corner. Like, yeah, I, don't I, I have, there's yeah. A, I think like Kanye's farm in Wyoming is a significant chunk of the landmass we're talking about here. Yes, you know? yes. I'm just like it's only. Um, yeah, yeah, they're not far away, but like in terms yeah. of like the the cultural differences, it it is pretty vast, and it, it's yeah. growing over yeah. this period. In mm-hmm. part because English elites really come to despise the Irish as a race. Uh, Lord Chichester, um, who mm-hmm. wound up, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I'm sure it's something like Jerry or some shit because English <laughs> names. It's always like what? No, of course you yeah. didn't pronounce Chichester. Chichester. It's pronounced, yeah. you know. Yeah, I'm okay. sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm reading the letters on care. the page. 
Um, like, I yeah. apologize yeah. for reading the letters on the uh, page. I apologize sorry. for trusting the way you wrote this. That's, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I'm sorry I didn't, I didn't realize it was pronounced Lester because it's not at all spelled like Lester. Because there's, there's not an L anywhere Fucking in here. England. That's why uh, I thought that wasn't pronounced Lester. I apologize. It's one of those things like Wales. <laughs> you, you look at the way things are spelled in Welsh and it makes, yeah. like, I, I, can, I, I would never even try to pronounce those, but at least they don't, they aren't pretending to be something. They're not else, pretending. Right? You look yes. at a Welsh word and you're like, okay, well, I don't know how to say that. You look at the word for Lester and it's like, oh, well, that looks like a thing that I should be able to just read. But nope. Exactly. Nope. Anyway, whatever. Why we don't trust y'all. We'll talk about this racist asshole in a second. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. 
Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, we're back. So, Lord Chichester, who winds up in possession of that rebel O'Doherty's land, uh, he writes shortly thereafter, quote, I have often said and written, it is famine which must consume the Irish. Our swords and other endeavors work not for that speedy effect which is effect expected for their overthrow. So even in, it? in this period of time, the 1600s, you have English lords being like, there's too many Irish. They're too quarrelsome. We got to engineer a famine, right? Like, they should just... There's too many of y'all. So there's too many of y'all. Some of y'all should starve. Starvation's going to be the best way to deal with these people, just right? British Thanos. And a lot of English nobility are going to spend quite a bit of time engineering really what's a series of disasters. Because before the Great Hunger, there are a couple of other pretty terrible famines, one of which kills hundreds of thousands of people. We just yeah. don't talk about it much anymore because the the, the Great Hunger is even worse. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I want to talk about, like, how they did this, because it's all wrapped up in kind of this landlording system that arises over the course of, 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 of a couple of centuries uh, in Ireland. Um, now, we, we chat on this show pretty regularly about serfdom, which is a, mm -hmm. a, a social situation that existed in a lot of Europe throughout the medieval period and existed yeah. in Russia until the 1860s, right? Russia yeah. doesn't free their serfs until right around when um, the Emancipation Proclamation is signed. They're within a couple so of years of each other. Yeah. Um, and serfdom is a type of slavery. It's not nearly as bad as like chattel slavery in North America, yeah. um, in part because Obviously, one of the worst things about chattel slavery is families get split up, right? You can, like, sell yeah. individuals from families and separate them from their loved yeah. ones. Serfs are bound to the land, so they they are part of the property parcel that you own. Yeah. So you can't, like, split up families outside of, like, drafting yeah. people to go fight in wars, which, which absolutely does happen and is pretty unpleasant. Um, but it does mean, like, the downside of being a serf is that you're not really free. You can't leave. Yeah. You can't really do anything but be a serf. The upside is that... Number one, you're not you're not really paying rent, you know. Like you can't no, get kicked off the land because you're yeah. part of it. Yeah, yeah. I've always I've always explained it like, okay, you know when you when you like if you were renting an apartment and the apartment has a stove, washing machine, like it's already there. Yeah, like it just it kind of comes with the apartment. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, that's a surf. Yeah, the that's kind of like you just come with the land when I buy it, you know. Yeah, it's. Yeah. It, I'm sure this will happen in like another three years. But imagine if your landlord owned you, and that meant that you had to do what your landlord said and work in whatever job they wanted you to work. But you also couldn't get evicted. Um, so it served them. Yeah, it, like, yeah. It would not be a kick you out. Yeah, but you also can't move. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it sucks, but also it, it, it's really where I'm, I'm bringing all this up to say that like. As bad as serfdom was, it is vastly superior to what Irish peasants are enduring throughout yeah. the 1600s and 1700s. I think it's important too, like for you know future reference for any any listener, especially like the type of listeners that you and I have, to when you talk about slavery, to understand sort of the gradient of types of slavery. Yeah, and I think yeah, like on one end of the spectrum is sort of like. Yeah, like a like a conquered village, you know what I mean? Um, and you're taking the warriors to do something or some sort of like serfdom, if you will, all the way to this. Yeah. Well, the humans are prop where humans are are cattle. Like, so that's like chattel slavery. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a 
a scale, you know what I mean, if you will. It's really important because a lot of the, especially folks who want to minimize chattel slavery that exists in the United States, they'll be like, well, slavery exists everywhere and it's always bad, which is like saying war exists everywhere and it's always yeah. bad. It's like, yeah, but different kinds of it's wars different. are worse yeah. than others. Like, yes, <laughs> like Desert Storm, yeah. war is bad, but Desert Storm was not as bad as, for example, the German invasion of Russia. <laughs> you know? it's, just, like, it's different. It's one different. was worse than the other. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and it's like, yeah, like Roman, and, and there's often gradients. Like we talk about um, yeah. ancient Roman slavery. There were slaves in ancient Rome who would have who would have felt very similarly about their situation to chattel slaves in North America. These would have been slaves working on the Latifundia, which were these massive agricultural plantations, yeah. or in the mines. And these are terrible yeah. lives for these slaves. And they're worked to death, and it's it's really a miserable situation. But a lot of slaves in ancient Rome would have been more or less were working internships. Like yeah. and they're not even unpaid. Like they're getting paid a lot. Like you when when you get freed and you had a you would get freed generally before too much time as like a household slave or like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people would people, particularly educated Greeks, would sell themselves into slavery to become mm -hmm. teachers for rich people because it was like a better life. So it's not yeah. Like if you're like you can't just say like slavery in Rome was this because there were a bunch of different types of slaves. Anyway, totally, we're, we're getting off yeah. the subject. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, I, I, yeah. But I think that's a very important distinction, yeah. especially like when you're trying, like you said, having a cultural dialogue with somebody about, like you said, minimizing the experience yeah. of one person, sort of playing like this oppression Olympics to where you like it. It really is different, though. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, like, and it's yeah. worth understanding that because yeah. the, the Irish in this period they're not slaves in any way. Um, but also in, there's a degree to which they're certainly worse off in most ways than serfs. Um, and yes. it's because of this landlording system that evolves. Mm -hmm. So throughout the 1600s, like this period, there, there's this process of the Celtic feudal system being dismantled piece by piece and ownership of the land being transferred to English landlords, most mm -hmm. of whom were what you'd call absentee landlords, right? They don't live in Ireland. Thankfully, that doesn't exist anymore. Nobody here pays rent. Nobody listening to the show pays rent to somebody who, who lives far away and is just kind of collecting a check. That doesn't happen yeah. anymore. But it did in this period. Um, yeah, that never happened. <laughs> so I was, um, first, I, first, I couldn't follow you. I was like, wait, is it that? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, he's see, making a joke. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just being a <laughs> yes. little asshole. So yeah. throughout the 1600s, England confiscates more than three million acres of land. Um, and yeah, this this during this period of time, Irish peasants change from being more or less in a similar position to peasants in a lot of Europe to mm -hmm. being renters. Um, and this winds wow. up being a lot worse um, under what came to be called the middleman system. And there's a couple of different ways that this kind of works. It's not the same across all of Ireland, but one of the ways mm -hmm. in which this works is called the middleman system. And in this, English people acquire land, which they then let to a fixed rate to a single English person who lives in Ireland. So the land is like owned by an English person who lives outside the island. And then they basically lease it to an English person who lives in Ireland and works as like a property manager, and he sublets the property Sounds to like Irish peasants. Yeah. These are this is a very modern system in a lot yeah. of ways. A lot of this is going to sound very familiar. Not to like, I'm not trying to like compare this to like rental situation people living in San Francisco. It's obviously yeah. like not not very to different. minimize the horror of what's but, happening in Ireland, but yes. like legally on paper, there's there's some real similarities between, mm -hmm. and, and in part because like 
what is figured out in this period of time spreads in a lot of ways, like a lot of the different attitudes towards how leasing and renting and stuff should totally. work are kind of being invented in this period. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the middleman system allows landlords to profit handily off of Irish land and labor without actually seeing the people they're exploiting. You know, that's up to the middleman to do the direct yeah. exploiting. So you could just kind of take the cash. Another yeah. system that is popular in chunks of Ireland is called land tenure. Um, and in this system, absentee landlords rent small tracts of land directly to peasants without a middleman. Hmm. Um, and over the course of 200 years or so, there's kind of some different ways that this works, but the ultimate result is that most Irish peasants, like 3 million people by the time the Great Hunger starts, wind up living on these very, very small plots of land. We'll talk about this more later, but they keep getting divided up more and more over time. Um, wow. In his 1962 text, The Great Hunger, historian Cecil Woodham Smith, which is a very English name for a, wow. a, a guy who's who's writing a, a very critical book about the Great Hunger. Um, Man's a proper Brit. Cecil Woodham Smith. Yes. Um, I, I just can't get over some of these names. Anyway, the land. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote from Cecil, who I think is actually a pretty good historian. The land system thus introduced was a method of government, a badge of conquest, and a means of holding in subjection of the common people. Ireland was a conquered country. The Irish peasant, a dispossessed man, and his landlord, an alien conqueror. Whoa. So while it is tempting and to some extent worthwhile to, again, note some similarities with our modern landlording system, it's also important to see how unique this system was. The English crown is essentially using a really decentralized network of landholding arrangements to dispossess the Irish peasantry. Hmm. And this ensures if you don't own your farm, you can't ever make anything ex extra, right? Like, yeah. You know, we'll talk again this a bit more, but like it, it ensures the fact that nobody owns anything and the fact that people don't have any permanent ties to the land that they're born and raised on um, means makes it very hard for peasants to put together the resources or have the stability that could lead to organized resistance. It doesn't make it impossible. There is organized yeah. resistance at periods, but it makes it a lot harder. Um, it also makes it it's very Another thing that's very familiar. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And obviously, when this, when aspects of this system get taken over to other parts of the world, they get a lot worse, right? Yeah. Like, it's definitely worse for other people outside of Ireland when some of these things are, like, morphed. But you can see shades of the tactics that the British Empire would yeah. use everywhere here. Yeah. Um, and shades of, like, what the United States is going to do to indigenous people, you know, right? Like, it's uh, not, yeah, there, it's, there, there's elements of that in here. Uh-huh. Um, because it's, you know, it's a lot the of same this is people. being tested. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so English land laws are imported to Ireland, and these laws, quote, pushed to their extreme the rights of landlords and conceded nothing to the occupiers in respect of their mm. customary rights under the old Irish customs. Irish renters did not get to lease the land they lived on. There are no leases in this period. So everyone is at will, which means wow. you can be evicted at any moment for any wow. reason or no reason at all. Um, there's no warning that has to be given. It doesn't like you can be paying your rent and they can still kick you off. It doesn't matter. Um, tenants also received no kind of compensation for improving the land that they farmed. So a big part of farming, if you've ever farmed, is to like do things over time that make your land more productive and yeah. like increase your yield and make totally. the, what you're on more valuable and also more capable of more easily providing a, a more food, both for money and for taking care of your, yourself and the people who live there. You There's no point in doing that if you're an Irish tenant farmer. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more too, but like, because you, you yeah. own nothing. 
um it's it's good for people to have a sense of ownership in the things that they live yeah. in and on like it's it's broadly positive um so it, I, yeah i yeah. was just like why why i'm now now i'm curious as to like why do they why would you think that this like would be successful well it is like that yeah but i'm like just in the initial thinking of like I would want if I own a land, I would want and I and own a land in a place that I don't even live and I probably ain't seen in years. I would want to make sure that that land is getting better. So I'm like so I'm like make my land better just because I'm telling you to or just like I just thought I, I maybe I'm just again modern eyes where I was like man I would want to incentivize like yo you keep avocado you know what I'm saying like hey if you could fix my soil why don't you take one of them avocados for yourself like I would think to me I don't know what I'm talking there about. there are that do, there are some landlords because again we're we're talking in broad here there are okay. certainly landlords who like offer better deals to people and who do okay. try to encourage and are like I'm never going to kick you guys off like you can improve your land that that happens too okay. But but broadly speaking, it does not happen on a wide scale. And we're going to mm. talk about why, but this is very much a conscious decision that people are making. And there's, it's a mix yeah. of ideology. We're going to talk about some aspects of like free market capitalism are being invented. Mm -hmm. So a big part of the fear here is that if you create a situation by which people would want to improve their land, that's by definition a situation in which they have more control over the land they live on, which means yeah. you are violating the sacred property rights of the landlord right that's a big chunk of of why they don't want that to exist because oh, okay yeah the, the, yeah we're, we're gonna get adam smith is gonna come into this story in a big way not okay. not too long from now okay so but obviously we're not there yet uh 1690 yeah. adam smith is just a glimmer in i don't know some other smith's eye at this yes. point so uh, uh william of orange in 1690 beats the catholic king james ii at the battle of the boyne um and this spells the end of organized catholic power in ireland and is seen by protestants in northern ireland as kind of like an independence day sort of situation battle of okay. the boyne is a big thing for the protestants in northern yeah. ireland um, and it, again, it's often seen as like, yeah, you have this like fight between the Catholics and the Protestants and the Catholics lose and, and it, it leads to a lot of tragedy. It's again, uh, as is always the case with Irish history, much messier than that. Yeah. Because the reality is that the Pope in Rome actually backs William of Orange against the Catholic King James as Whoa. part of a strategic scheme to fuck with King Louis of France. Um, Whoa. And he secretly funnels the modern equivalent of three and a half million pounds sterling to William, uh, money that's spent on swords and muskets to kill Catholics. Proper peas, isn't it? Yeah. And we don't find it. We, we didn't learn this until documents were uncovered in 2008. Oh, like for uh, in terms of like okay. again, to, to give you an idea of like how good the the fucking Catholic Church is at both documenting shit and keeping it locked down. This happens in sixteen fucking ninety, and it, no it, do, it doesn't drop until two thousand eight. Dog, you they, think I, the you U.S. government's nobody. bad at FOIA requests? Do you understand <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? I just heard today. I just heard today Trump out there uh, hiding seven hours yeah. of like phone content. Like, okay, see if you can keep mm -hmm. that hidden for four hundred years. Pope's like that's that. <laughs> That's rookie. JV shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Pope's like rookie mm -hmm. cookies, mm -hmm. red shirt. 
There D2. wasn't even a United States when we started covering up war crimes. Come on, like, <laughs> you wasn't even you wasn't even a country. Yeah, we we've got we, we're hiding shit older than your concept of of, of society. Yeah, we got we got dudes holding secrets mm-hmm. <laughs> older than your constitution. Gotta Little love it, dog. Anyway, so okay. Throughout the early 1700s, the Irish peasantry languished, um, better off than slaves, but worse off in a lot of ways than serfs. The fact that landlords could increase rent whenever they wanted meant it was pointless, again, to try and farm for cash crops worth much more. Like, uh-huh. there's not a lot, there's not a point in massively increasing your yields or improving the land because they can change your rent at will. So if they see, oh, they doubled their productivity this year, well, I'm going to double rent. So why would you do that? Why would you put in that? Yeah, why work? would you? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you um, you pay in in produce? Yeah, generally, basically, right? Like oh, okay. you're because you're you're farming. You are a farmer, so you're farming both to feed yourself and you are farming to okay. pay your rent. And you, um, and if you got this middleman, you can't just be like hiding corn somewhere, right? Because right. It's, it's harder because he's yeah. And there's there's obvious there's always local collaborators whose job totally. is like you know. Um, and there's snitches. also there people always do get away with shit, right? Of like, course, the same. You know, we're, we're flattening things a little bit because there's a lot of yeah. history to cover here. Of course, um, man. You, you have, what's a, what's a what's a head of lettuce between friends? You know yeah, what I'm but yeah. there's there's also so not only there's no point in like massively increasing your yields as a farmer because they'll just mm-hmm. up your taxes, but there's also not much yeah. of a point in improving the land because if you make the land a lot better, then your landlord will kick you out and will rent it to someone else for more money. Yep. You know, like, why, yep. why, why would you? Yeah. Um, now, historians have noted that one major issue with achieving progress under the feudal system, this is everywhere that there is a feudal system, is that, like, this is broadly a thing that happens in feudalism. Feudal lords in a lot of Europe throughout the medieval period have fairly little incentive to invest in or improve their lands. If you make, mm-hmm. like, a region a lot more agriculturally productive or whatever, um, then number one, it looks more enticing for your rivals to attack and try to take. But yeah. also the money that you invest in improving that land is less money that you're spending on your military. You know, if you're smart and careful over time, it can work out for you. But yeah. it's like a risk. You're taking a gamble if you mm-hmm. if you divert resources for that. Um, and this is one of the reasons why feudalism doesn't, you know, people find other things to do. Because it, it's yeah. not great for all kinds of progress, right? Like I think yeah. I do, like... And one of the things that's interesting is England has, even though there's a king still, they've moved beyond the system in this period. That's yeah. part of why they conquer the world, right? As they develop kind mm-hmm. of new systems that are more conclusive to the kind of progress that is beneficial. Yeah. Um, but with this system of absentee landlords that they put in place over Ireland, they find a way to deny the Irish any benefits of modernization. Um when enterprising Irishmen try to make a life for themselves in other ways besides farming, the crown mm-hmm. cracks down on their ambitions. In the famine mm-hmm. plot, Tim Pat Coogan writes, Irish trade was crippled by the partial conquest. Instead of being developed, valuable cattle, fishing, and woolen industries were taxed out of existence when they came into competition with either British trading interests or her military concerns, which led her to disrupt Irish trade with both France and America. So, like, not only mm. is it a shit situation for farmers, but whenever people try to do anything else, try to go into business or whatever, that gets destroyed via, like, taxing or via, like, different – there's different ways the government has of fucking this over in order to protect English businesses. Mm. You know? You don't want it. So, there, there's no way out for the Irish, really. Yeah. There's even this brief period in the early 1800s where they're starting to industrialize more, and the 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 number of Irish people who are kind of like working in these factory jobs, industrial jobs, the dawn of the Industrial Revolution is increasing, and then it plummets right before the Great Hunger. And part yeah. of that is that like, 
well, we don't want Irish in- industry to compete with British. Like, we want to sell them that stuff, for one thing. Like, <gasps> that's not why they're there. They're not there to develop their island into, so weird, you know, a modern man. society. Okay. Yeah. And we're talking, like, are we, we're still talking, like, Ireland as a whole? Are we talking Northern Ireland? We're just, yeah, like, we're ju- it's just Ireland at this point. Right? I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's all under the control of the crown, right? So yeah. there are, like, what you've got up in the north, like, places like Ulster in particular. Mm-hmm. Ulster is basically founded as a colony of English people in Ireland. Um, oh. So, yeah, you, you do, and again, this is kind of like, Ulster is founded right along the same time it's like 1600 or so that like the english are founding colonies in the east coast of north america so they're actually kind of colonizing ireland in similar ways to how they're colonizing the americas at around the same period of time um so obviously all this the the fact that england is kind of hamstringing irish growth has impacts beyond just keeping the irish downtrodden Mm -hmm. um english landlords could have improved this situation while remaining into control in control if they'd agreed to enter into contracts with their tenants like leases that would maybe limit their ability to increase rent or evict people but they weren't willing to do this and that's part of why there can be no progress in a paper for the marquette law review cynthia smith writes because the landlord's goal was to extract as much money from the land as possible any contractual agreement with tenants would have been an obstacle to this rent seeking in addition to rent seeking there were a number of reasons why english landlords neglected to invest in their holdings in Ireland. The small size of holdings, the uncertain political situation, general economic conditions, and the availability of more lucrative investment alternatives, all of these factors may have contributed to the landlord's reluctance to improve. Landlords were further deterred from investing because they were already making a substantial profit on the rent collected on the unimproved land. Finally, landlords neglected to make improvements because they feared that tenants would use the investment so intensively that the value of the improvement would depreciate at too high a rate. Misuse of an improvement was likely to occur when tenants had no security of tenure. However, if tenants had been given some security, misuse would not have been a problem because tenants would have been in the process of maximizing their net income and used the improvement optimally. So there's like a number of different ways this could work. And this is how things work in a lot of other parts of Europe that are modernizing. Yeah. Um, but the, these... It's absentee landlords. Yeah, it's slumlording shit on a, on, a on the scale of an entire people, right? Yeah, like they, the England has turned Ireland into a slum, um, wow. so that they can lord over it. Now, the backwardness of pre-famine agriculture in Ireland, caused uh, by the inefficient investment, uh, this becomes apparent when Ireland's labor productivity in 1845 is compared to English labor productivity. Um, like Hmm. British people are like twice as productive as Irish people in 1845, like on a, if you're kind of like looking at them as economic units. Yeah. Um, and this is because there's just been no development that's been allowed to occur. That Um, man, not none, but very little. Yeah. Yeah. But even that scale or comparison is like, it's so infuriating. It's like, well, look, we're more productive than y'all. Like, I wonder why. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and this is going to justify, going to be used to justify a lot of racism against the Irish. Because, like, well, look, they're not very productive. Like, they just can't keep up with the modern society or whatever. Oh, my God. Um, So, landlords find that the easiest way to increase profits from generation to generation is to further subdivide their lots, which allows them to rent to even greater numbers of the growing Irish population. And these peasants, again, these people who live in these renting situations, they make their living by growing different grains and other kind of, like, 
export crops, and then those crops are exported, and that's what pays their rent. Since rent raises constantly, but their amount of land is fixed, and in fact often shrinking, Irish peasants are caught in this unwinnable cycle of increasing poverty. And the desperation of their situation leads them to embrace a recent import from the New World. Potatoes. Now, Mm. we talk a lot, I mean, there's a lot of like, talk in popular culture about Ireland and the potato. Obviously, the potato comes from, again, the New World. It's not like a, a native to Ireland. The reason why they adopt it so quickly is that the potato is one of the very few single foods on earth that can be, you can live off of nothing but potatoes. Yeah. If that's all that you have, you can, you can, especially different kinds of potatoes. There's all sorts of different strains. Some of them have different kind of nutritional values, but um, potatoes have like vitamin C and stuff. Like they have what you need to not I ain't gonna hold you. I think I got through Mm -hmm. a year in college on French fries and like- yeah, nah, I, I ain't gonna hold you. I, I I could live off a potato. Yeah, and they also grow in it. You can grow it in really bad soil. Yeah. So the way in which these plots are subdivided, each like family, you know, whatever farming unit, however you want to phrase it, has like a small chunk in the land that they live on has a small chunk of like good land, and then usually like bogs and stuff mm-hmm. and like hillsides that's less good for growing. And so one of the things you can do with potatoes is in the good land you have, you can grow shit like corn that you're going to export and sell. Mm -hmm. And in your shit land, you can just sow potatoes and those will keep you alive, right? That's Um, dope, man. Potatoes also aren't worth anything as an export crop. They're Mm -hmm. just not worth selling, really. Um, so it, it also, it, it's what you eat because you can't profit off of it. It's just, nah, it seems like a win-win, man. Like, you know, it, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Especially cause I'm like, I will. Okay, this is a bit of a tangent, but I will defend to my grave in and out fries. I know everybody talks oh, about Oh, they're not bad. Soggy. They're not bad. Yeah. I like them. I, like I think them it's too. because Yeah, you know why? Because they taste like potatoes. Yeah. I feel like everybody arguing over fries like I'm like you eating wax and salt and mm-hmm. you think and you of course that's going to taste great cuz it's Yeah, I love me some potatoes. Now, I, look, I look, who's your top 5 fry? Don't lose your place. Top 5 fries. Ooh, I have strong man. opinions about this. I mean, I really like. Uh, I'm a waffle fry guy, I, and I, I haven't eaten there in a long time. But I do. I did love Chick Fil A back in the day when I was a younger man. I haven't had their fries in like ten years, so I don't know. Maybe they're not as as good as. I no, have. they're still they still slap. I'm a less. That's a good choice. Wing stops. Mm-hmm. Wing stops fries are oh, one Wingstop. of my. I was about fries. to. I was like, no. I was about to say. I was just about to say Wing Stop. We had them yesterday. <laughs> One thing Them I'll fries do are incredible because they taste like potatoes and are actually seasoned. They taste like seasoned potatoes. Here's here's a little tip that I do sometimes. I'll get those Five Guys fries, and then yeah. this is key. You know that that like spicy chili oil you can get from Trader Joe's. Yeah. Yes. I put a bunch of them in like a baking pan. I get like a tablespoon of chili oil, dollop it over there, smear it all around the potatoes, pop them in the oven at 350 for like 10 minutes to crisp Bro. them up with the potatoes. Yes. Oh, it fucking, it slaps. Yeah. Dog. It, it's it, good you stuff. You just changed my life because mm-hmm. I'm it's like, I am stuff. definitely the like, don't leave your fries around mm-hmm. me. You know what I'm saying? Don't like, don't walk away from your plate. Don't look away. I'm taking mm-hmm. your fries. Like, we all love potatoes. Now the problem yes. is, and, and, and also the, it's worth noting, it may not sound like eating nothing but potatoes is a very healthy diet. Irish people, one of the things that is noted in this period is that they tend to be larger and seemingly healthier than English people of a similar socioeconomic class. And it's because they're, they, they, they're, they're eating a lot of potatoes, which yeah. compared to like a lot of the diets available to people at the time without money is one of yeah. the better options for, for yeah. being relatively healthy. Also, um, the, also the, the English 
cuisine just oh man yeah we don't we don't need to talk about british food yeah like i was like man i i do like irish breakfast though i'll give i think the irish are one of the better breakfast making peoples of the world you know who else makes good breakfast well i was gonna do a joke yeah i was like well about about that island where you hunt okay sophie's angry at me now so here's ads The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. She's a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we've been talking about how wonderful potatoes are, and they are, yes. and how, like, it's actually not 
again, compare, I'm not talking, trying to say in objective modern terms, but based on the kind of diets available back then, living off potatoes in this period is not a bad way to, to make yeah. a go of it. Um, but one of the issues is that over time on Ireland, everyone gravitates to growing just one single strain of potato because it's the best one for the it, it produces the best yield and it's the most nutritious it's called the lumper it's hmm. not particularly tasty but it is your, but it works th- the biggest bang for your buck in towards of like calories you can grow per square you know, whatever um so this works for a while, right? Like, while the lumper is growing well, this is great yeah. because people get a lot of food and people like not starving to death. The problem is that if you're if everyone is growing one kind of potato, then you have what's called a monoculture. I was just about to say, mon- I was yeah. just on it's the not tip great. of my tongue. It's not I was like, great. monocultures ain't good. I just left no. the coffee farm uh, in Colombia, and they were talking a lot about biocultures and monocultures. And, like, like just, just to add to your existential dread, uh, according to these like expert coffee farmers, they're like, look, we got about maybe 30 more harvests in us unless we start doing more like bioculture, you know, yeah. uh, multicultural. It, 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 this yeah. is a problem with every kind of agriculture, right? Yes. Whenever you do, it's the, we, you there's can't like, do monocultures. Uh, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, people will point out that like one reason why banana flavored candy tastes so unlike bananas is that it was based on the flavor of a banana that basically doesn't exist anymore because they all got wiped out and now we eat a different kind of banana. Dang. Um, you, you look into the history of farming bananas. It's wild, but yeah, the good anyway. thing about when a plague wipes out all of the bananas is that like for a while people don't get bananas like it's an economic problem for people but vi- I, I don't think many people have commercially farmed bananas as the vast majority if not the entirety of their nutritional yeah, <laughs> yeah, existence totally. right totally. Yeah. um not to minimize the problem that a banana blight causes yes um but you can see how this works great for a while, but when you get a disease that's going to fuck over the potato, it's going to be a problem for yes. Irish people. But also, when, again, to go back to what we were saying at the start, it's not a problem that, like, there's no food in Ireland. Because Irish people are only growing potatoes on a fairly small chunk of the land they have. Most yeah. of the land they have is going to grow food that they're going to export in order to make their rent, right? It's important to keep that in mind. So, that's good. Near the turn of the 18th century, resentment and anger over the suffering under English domination leads to another rebellion in Ireland. This one is aided by the French, uh, who are in, like, you know, they, France and England have been fighting for, like, a century mm-hmm. almost by the point at Norm. which this happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's France! Yeah. And, and France actually tries to land troops in Ireland twice. They land an army once, but it, it doesn't go great for them. Um it's not real easy to, like, yeah. if you're France, land an army in Ireland that's going to be capable of... And this this actually keeps happening for forever. In World War One, the Germans try to land a ship full of guns on in Ireland to, wow. like... It just didn't and work. It, it did a little bit, but the, the rebellion that that comes yeah. afterwards doesn't work great. Um, yeah. I don't know. That, that, that's the, there, There's a whole story there. A lot, a lot of people try to land armies or guns in Ireland in order to, not because they particularly care about Irish liberation, but because, like, fuck the English, and this Basically. seems like an easy way to screw them up. It never quite works. Yeah. Um, so when these French guys, you know, they have their their fight, and this this kind of, the fact that someone's fighting the English leads a lot of Irish people to be like, well, we might have a shot at, like, doing something here. So yeah. there's a rebellion. Uh, Tim Pat Coogan writes... 
However, rebellion spearheaded by the United Irishmen was bloodily suppressed. At the time, it was frequently said that the 1798 rebellion was secretly encouraged by direction of the English Prime Minister William Pitt so that it would go off half-cocked before the Society of United Irishmen could succeed in their aim of uniting Catholic, Protestant, and dissenter against the crown. Certainly, English policy seemed directed at fermenting rather than aborting rebellion. Troops were forcibly billeted on unwilling Catholic farm owners in the yeomanry. The Protestant militia was given a free hand in oppressing their Catholic neighbors. Fair-minded Protestants were outraged at what they saw. On Easter Tuesday, April 10th, at Newton Mount Kennedy in County Wicklow, a Protestant farmer named Joseph Holt, attending the the town fair, was sickened to witness the ancient Britons cutting the haunches and thighs of the young women for wearing green stuff petticoats. So, like, pretty Hmm. brutal stuff happening here, like slicing ladies at the market because they're wearing green and that's Irish stuff. Also, it's worth noting like one of the things that the British do to piss people off is force them to quarter soldiers in their homes. We joke a lot about the quartering act and about like yeah. the, what is it, the third amendment? Like th- that you can't yeah. quarter soldiers in people's like, homes. Why is this here? Like, there's like a, there's a reason, there's a reason. why people yeah. felt that needed to be in, yeah. <laughs> in, in yeah. the bill of rights. Yeah. Um, the English love quartering soldiers in your fucking house. Sometimes I'll just drive down the street past national guard bases or military bases and just mm-hmm. heckle. Just be like, can't come into my house, motherfuckers. Right. That's right. That's hey, right. Hey, I don't give not, a shit, Marine Corps. Yeah. You don't get to stay in my house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got an amendment, motherfuckers. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey, this hey, number three say I ain't gotta let mm-hmm. you in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I'll invite like a like a like a Lance Corporal into my house and they'll be like, you know what? Get the fuck out. Never mind. Yeah, that's Gotta right. go. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> um I'm going to continue that quote from Tim Pat Coogan. A respected historian of the period has written, 1798 is the most violent and tragic event in Irish history between the Jacobite Wars and the Great Famine. In the space of a few weeks, 30,000 people, peasants armed with pikes and pitchforks, defenseless women and children, were shot down or blown like chaff as they charged up to the mouth of the cannon. One of the malicious tactics was pitch capping. A canvas crown was placed on the head of an insurgent or alleged insurgent, and boiling tar was poured into the canvas around. After this had time to set, the cap was torn off taking with it much of the crappie's scalp. The term crappie came from the habit of some insurgents of cropping their hair in the fashion of the French revolutionists. Mm. The hatred of Protestants for the Catholics was such that the commanding English general Abercrombie became so revolted by the people he was defending that he had as little to do with them as he possibly could. And you'll see this again later in the famine where like British yeah. soldiers are horrified at some of the things being done to Irish people. They never really do anything about it, but they're, yeah. they're really, really concerned. <laughs> so wonder, that'll help. I yeah. wonder how Amber Crombie feels about his, uh, his legacy now. Oh, I think pretty good. I mean, what he thinks of it. No, I'm saying in the sense that he's just some sort of douchebag, uh, yeah. uh, frat boy style dressing now. Look, if if you are at the head of an army that is burning people's scalps off with pitch and you get to be remembered by shirtless dudes hanging out in a mall in 2006, that's not the worst way that I guess go. that's not the worst thing to do. Yeah. But I'm just like, do you think do you think your little your little shirtless guys, uh, your frat boys are like they you don't think they soft like they not as hard as you were where you was melting full scalps or are you just like, that's right. Look at my son. To yeah, be, I don't be, know. I mean, to it, be fair, Abercrombie and Allister caused lots of trauma to lots of people. It's like if, if <laughs> it's like if in two hundred years there was like a, a like a sexy jean, tight jeans b- brand called Himmlers. Yeah, everybody was like, "Oh, you got some of those Himmlers? Those look yeah. good." And it's like that. Their yeah, models are like hot. That. Yeah, 
where I'm like, oh, where? Yeah, you got you got mm-hmm. the new. You know what I'm saying? You got these. Mm-hmm. You, you wearing the Mussolini's? You know what I'm saying? I got these. <laughs> I got these Mussolini Air Mussolini. Oh man, 11s. yeah, those look great. <laughs> I got the Mussolini Elevens. Like, oh, word. Yeah. 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 Incredible. So, for a decade or so prior to the 1798 rebellion, there was actually Ireland gets a parliament briefly, I think for like 12 years, mm. which on paper gives them a small degree of autonomy from England, but not really, because the, yeah. the parliament in Ireland is only supposed to basically do what the parliament in England tells them to. But after the 1798 rebellion, the English are like, well, we can't even let them have this fake degree of autonomy. So mm-hmm. Will- William Pitt the Younger bribes Irish parliamentarians to vote for what he called the Act of Union. And this is what makes Ireland a part of the United Kingdom. So again, Ireland votes to join the UK if you ignore yeah. all of the things about it that are not legitimate, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like a lot of votes in history, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, like probably most votes in history. Yeah. It's, like, I mean, the, the history is, of voting is mostly the history of bribery. Basically. It's, it's, it's crazy, though. Like, I, it, like you mentioned earlier how, like, you go to, like, a lot of, like, Irish, like, football events and they got, like, like Palestinian flags. I'm like, I, I hope yeah, people seeing, like, how that picture is coming into play now, like, why they would, like, um, understand yep. and empathize with the Palestinian plight in Ireland. Like, they're, like... Uh, like I hope it's coming together now. Like yeah. the picture's getting pretty clear, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, the, this yeah. this goes on uh, again. We're hundreds of years into, yeah. and, and we're still at that. We're at like the middle point, right? Yeah, now, this is right. Yeah, if you this, can even say that it's over, guys, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of people in Ireland, not as many as there used to be, but you can still find folks who will be like, "Look, man, I mean, the island's still not united. There's like, yeah, th- th- there's still some like shit going on. We're not thrilled about. Yeah. Um. That said, most people I know are broadly like, yeah, you know, it's it's, it's certainly a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> like than like, than this period for sure. Yeah, That's a low like, bar, though. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. I I did. I think a lot of folks did take some joy when like Brexit hit and England English passports suddenly were worth a lot less, and suddenly yeah. English people are like going over to Ireland to try and get Irish passports. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that's right. Come crawling back, baby. You know what I'm saying? Um, Play the long game, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, with their own imperial propaganda, superior British productivity served as evidence that the Irish were a lesser race, and they deserved to languish under the guidance of an English power. They were lampooned as a lazy and shiftless people. Much was made of the method by which they planted potatoes, and which were called lazy beds, right? Like, because again, you don't have to... It, it's it, not it, hard. Like, you're just kind of like dropping them in the dirt, right? Like, yeah. that's how potato farming works. But, yeah. like, the English are like, look, the Irish are so lazy that they don't want to put in a hard work. They just want to, like grow potatoes and turn them into liquor and smarter yeah well and also just because like well if they were to make more you would just take it from them you just get so why yeah like yeah you guys are again yeah it's just infuriating dude like it's pretty not great yeah i'm like it it reminds me of which may feel like a stretch but like follow me here it's like we all went to we all went to we was in school during the time which is the same as everybody else's time how just like Every class you took in like history and social studies was telling you about how socialist countries just don't work. Right. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you telling me this while we're actively paying millions of dollars to destabilize them and then being able to like we spend millions and millions of dollars to make their governments not work. And then come tell our kids, hey, see there, their governments don't work. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, fool, that's you know why? Like you're you're just like as anybody like connecting these dots here it ain't working because you making it not work 
right? So well, when you, you, yeah. you, it's like, oh man, they're only growing potatoes. Look at them. They're just, they're lazy. They're growing potatoes and they only grow so much. You know why we only, you know why we growing potatoes? That's, I mean, it's like you promise people who have been enslaved that they're going to get farmland and uh, 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 what is it, 40 acres and a 40 mule. 40 acres and, and a then, mule. And then you don't give it to them. And then you develop like a legal system that arrests huge numbers of them uh, and locks them out of the best jobs. And then uh, a bunch of them are very impoverished and you go, why, why don't these people, why aren't they better at making money? Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe you didn't give them a lot of options. Here's, here's the or, thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. You steal from a group of people, all of the land that they had lived on, uh, and force them onto tinier and tinier chunks of land while killing the vast majority of them. And then you're like, boy, why are they having such trouble adapting to Jeez. the modern economy? Jeez. They seem like, so depressed. Why are they so yeah. sad? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's all again, it's all variations of the same yeah. story, you know. Um so, yeah, uh do 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 do. So, English media focuses a lot on how little effort the Irish put into farming. Okay. Um while ignoring the fact that Irish people are growing cash crops that are exported for the profit of benef- of English landlords and provide a lot of the food that England is growing. And in fact, despite a lot of their backwardness in terms of like agricultural techniques and whatnot, Ireland is continuously increasing productivity in this time. Wow. Um, and it becomes England's breadbasket. Uh, it's also a growing source of animal products. Irish Ireland supplies, by 1800, Ireland supri- supplies English cities with 83% of their beef 79 percent of their butter and 86 percent of their pork um just to like to name a few things so like again the degree to which all of this is absolutely central to the industrial revolution in england can't really be overstated because when the irish are providing so much food for english people that again that among other things frees up english labor to work in like this growing factory system and to industrialize you know yeah um, so the misery of life under English domination allows most peasants just two outlets, fucking and fighting. Um, the former explains why the Irish population triples from the okay. mid-1700s to the early 1800s. Tim Pat Coogan claims that a lot of peasants basically make the decision, like, our lives can't get worse, and birth control's not a thing, right? So yeah. we might as well, might as well fuck, you know? Like, what else is there? Um, and this is part of why there's a birth explosion. There's also like potatoes are a pretty good thing to eat. And so there is calories, right? There's food for a while too. So for a number of reasons, the Irish population just blows up from about 1700 to about 1800. Again, it like triples. Wow. Um, and the other thing that develops over time is like a very weird kind of fighting culture. And this is like, there's a lot of racial stereotypes, um Mm -hmm. about like the irish people as like quarrelsome and wanting to fight um but there's uh, like there's reasons why that stereotype develops and it's because in ireland again people are very poor they have a history of rebelling against the crown and they don't have any kind of options for social advancement in a lot of cases Uh, yeah what do young men do when like shit's rough they like they fight this happens everywhere yeah I respect it. Like, I mean, yeah. y'all, y'all, y'all drink, you, you drink like, like alcohols, like this is the last day on earth that there'll be alcohol mm-hmm. and y'all go home and you smashing and then you're just pissy for the rest of the day. Cause all we going to have is potatoes. So let's, what hey, let's fight. Uh, yeah, you know what what else? Like, like this, this happens all over the place. Like this is the same shit people talk about, like the Appalachia, right? Like yeah. Appalachia and it's like honor culture and like all of the, and in, in Ireland, kind of their version of that is called faction fighting. 
Okay. Um, which is, there's, this is a fascinating thing. I had no idea was happening. Um, but it, it starts in the County Tipperary uh, in the early 1800s, and it quickly spreads all over the island. Mm-hmm. And in the famine plot, Coogan explains, sometimes several hundred participants took part on either side. The most famous fight at Ballyvay Strand in County Kerry in 1834 involved some 3,000 contestants, of whom over 200 were killed. The fighting oh gangs were based on extended families or on parishes, and normally fights took place either at fairs or on feast days or public holidays. The weapons were chiefly seasoned blackthorn sticks, whose lethal properties were sometimes added to by the insertion of lead in the butts. These killing instruments oh were the origin of the shillelaghs carried today by, by today's leprechaun dolls. An even more deadly weapon was the whitethorn stake, a cut from which could prove fatal. Sometimes scythes and slash hooks were used. So there's just like this, again, I Irish, respect it. Like, it, I, it's I know. Pretty, it's, like, it's like, you know, you don't have MMA, but you can get a couple thousand people together to fight in a field. Hey, just like, yeah. look, me and my cousins, you know what I'm saying? Me and my cousins, couple homies down the street, we get to be this block. We're going to scrap with that block. And it's all it's all in fun. If you die, you die. I don't hate Some you. Some people are going to die. Couple Some hundred, people going to you know? die. You better then muscle up. You, the, we defend- talk about like. Yeah, this this shit's happening. And like, like we talk in our Stalin episodes, like this is happening like Georgia, like there's different kinds of like, like it all over the world. People find excuses to get in big groups and beat the shit out of each other. Um, And in Ireland, we be we would be look when you 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 living in you living in the inner city of L.A., you sitting on the porch. One of your uncles will be like, hey, you think you could beat that fool up? And you like, uh, I don't know. Like, hey, 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 come here. Hey, fight my nephew. And then mm-hmm. now y'all just in the street fighting. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, okay. You know, it's just like, we're bored. Like, yeah, it's I what don't people hate the do kid. when they're bored. We're just bored. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, I tell you what, let me tell you, let me tell you what I learned in those days. If somebody hits you in the middle of your nose, you're going to go blind from tears. Mm-hmm. So don't Oof. let nobody hit you in the middle yeah. of your nose. That was one of the greatest lessons I ever learned. Mm-hmm. Head down, hands up. Head down, um, hands up. Now, Again, so there's a lot going on here, um, but this is not like it, it, the English make a lot of this in their propaganda about like how uniquely fighty the Irish are. But yeah. like we, this happens all over the world, everywhere and, in the world, and, and everywhere in the world. It's just what happens when like you have a bunch of young men without much in the way of options for the future. But and, you've you've ruined any sense of purpose and yeah. destiny for them. And that you've also like yeah. they're angry because the situation is unfair, but they yeah. it has become very clear that we're not going to we're not going to beat the British military. Yeah, you know, um, it's also you know this kind of feeds into this system of what are called secret societies at the time. And when we talk about like that term means something different now. Mm-hmm. Basically, what's happening is is insurgent groups are, are uh, building over Ireland, right? Mm-hmm. And there's different ones, right? As we're, we'll see later, there are some kind of secret societies that are are made up of landlords or in support of the landlords. There's some that are in support of just the Protestant cause, and there's others that are basically battling the status quo that are like like actually fighting against the these this absentee landlord system uh-huh. or like Catholic groups fighting against Protestants. Probably one of the more interesting of these groups were called the Rockites. Um, they declared allegiance to a mythical Captain Rock. This is not a guy who existed, but like hmm. they would, the, the Rockites would carry out attacks on landlords, like they would murder or beat up landlords or rent collectors. And then they would write letters justifying what they'd done signed by Captain Rock. It was kind of like an I am Spartacus sort of, although Spartacus was real, obviously. Yeah, like, you know, it's that sort of thing. We're claiming that there's like this you know, my brain is flooding right now with some sort of puns and word plays about oh, either just Dwayne the Rock Johnson or Chris Rock being <laughs> slapped. 
And like, it's so hard to not mm -hmm. <laughs> go with the Chris Rock. Like, and it's like, you know, when you can't land on a joke because there's too many of them firing it. Mm -hmm. That's what just happened right now. You just you know remember that thing that happened with Chris Rock, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, actually, in terms of if you if you're looking for something to laugh at, prop the 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 most powerful secret society in this period were called the White Boys. Um, all right, all okay. right. <laughs> they, yeah, it's time for it's time for ads. <laughs> um, Gustave de, de Beaumont, who was a sympathetic French intellectual at the time, wrote this of the White Boys: "Quote, they lived by an atrocious savage code, worthy of a semi-barbarous population, which abandoned to itself and has no light to guide its efforts, finds no sympathy to assuage its passions, and is reduced to look to rude instincts for the means of safety and protection. These are banditti of a singular kind. To obtain arms or vengeance, they commit all sorts of outrages, while they abstain from the gold or silver under their hands." So he's kind of pointing out that like they they're really more interested in vengeance than making money. They're not like okay. traditional. They're not like criminals in that yeah. sense. They they really want to like fuck some shit up. Um, and in many ways, the white boys are a precursor to a lot of modern insurgent terrorist groups. Um, hmm. Some of them were quite erudite too. And in their manifesto, kind of, they have like this thing that is explaining what they're fighting for. They write quote. Let us strike the culpable, not only in their persons, but in their dearest interests and affections. Let not only their cattle be howed, hamstrung, their houses burned, their land turned up, their, harvest their harvests destroyed, but let their friends and relations be devoted to death, the wives and daughters to dishonor. Um, which is, there's an allegation that when they talk about wanting people's wives and daughters to be dishonored, that they're like threatening to commit rape of- I was like, enemies, it sounds like rape. Yeah. They, may, they may, yeah, they may have been. Um, you know, this is this is not not a pretty series of things that are happening. Um, white boys. So the white boys, and they, they, Never you changed. can see him as like a precursor to the kind of anti-colonial insurgent groups that would dominate a lot of late twentieth-century geopolitics, right? Jeez, you can see this as like the first stirrings of some things that are going to happen all over the world. Um, but Ireland also in this period gives birth to what some call scholars consider the first organized mass nonviolent resistance campaign in history. Okay. Um, it's organized by a guy named Daniel O'Connell, who is one of the very few member I Ireland's part of the UK, right? So I, there are, it is possible for Irish people to get elected to parliament. There's a long history of like what, cause like, well, actually, we're about to talk about this. Yeah. So O'Connell rises to prominence first as a lawyer, um, and he forms an organization called the Catholic Association in 1823. And this was the first semi-effective Irish political party in history. Hmm. Um, the Catholic Association and O'Connell spend years fighting for Catholic emancipation, which they win in 1829. And Catholic that's what makes emancipation. Yeah, because Catholics, you're not allowed to like hold land or oh, okay, or political yeah. office, right? Yeah, like you are. There is like a degree of um, like apartheid for Catholics, yeah. kind of in a legal sense of the word in this period in Ireland, and so O'Connell wins the right in this organization, win the right for Catholics to sit on the Parliament, right? So now you okay. can have because Irish people could be on the Parliament before, but they had to be Irish Protestants. Mm -hmm. Because of O'Connell, you get your first. He is the first. Catholic Irish legislator in like elected or like in modern elected, I think maybe yeah, yeah, some yeah. before shit got all fucky. Um, this also opens up like Catholics can be lawyers in ways they couldn't before. And they're allowed to be military officers in the British military Man. now. Yeah. Um, so this is like a big civil rights campaign, right? So O'Connell okay. forms this political party. They fight for like seven years and they, they win. I mean, this is a pretty massive victory, 
you know, for Irish mm-hmm. civil rights in this period. So the next year, 1830, O'Connell wins election to the parliament, and he, he becomes the first Catholic in modern history to sit in the English parliament. And he's a pretty cool dude. He's poor by parliamentary standards, okay. which means he's rich, but not rich compared to the other rich people, right? Like, Got you it. know, um, and he dresses like a normal person. So the British elected leaders call him the king of the beggars because he he looks poor to them. Again, hmm. he is not a poor person. There are minimum financial yeah. requirements to be in parliament, right? So he's yeah. not, he's not impoverished but they they see him as impoverished and they also see him as like he is the representative of the hordes of of working poor in ireland you know um tim pat coogan writes he deserves to be regarded as the founder of the modern peaceful civil rights movement his hatred of oppression was universal my heart walks abroad he said and wherever the miserable is to be succored and the slaves to be set free there my spirit is at home and i do like to dwell in America, he was deified by the anti-slavery movement for his speeches in their favor and for the manner in which he turned down substantial money offers from slave owners who commanded 27 votes in the House of Commons during the emancipation battle, saying, Ooh. Gentlemen, God knows that I speak for the saddest people the sun sees, but may my right hand forget its cunning and may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth before, to help Ireland, I keep silent on the Negro question. And wow. what he's saying there is, there's a vote, like, in- England bans slavery yeah. in this period, right? Yeah, yeah. And a bunch of parliamentarians are like, hey, dude, vote with us to keep slavery, and we'll help you out in gaining some concessions for Irish people in Parliament. Yeah. And he's like, I couldn't, I would never be able to live with myself if I did that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, our, our situation is bad, but, like, this is, I I, I could not, I could yeah. not do that. But, goddamn, um, like, it's yeah. a It's a principled moral stand. Yeah, uh, he Good denounces George Washington for owning slaves, uh, which gets him. He gets a lot of the the early Irish diaspora in New York hate him because he like hates George Washington because <laughs> George Washington owns a bunch of fucking slaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or owned a bunch of slaves. He's dead yeah. at this point. Um, he gets attacked a lot by U.S. newspapers. The New York Herald uh, accuses him of having a bunch of concubines and illegitimate children oh, because God. again, he's like he thinks slavery is bad. Here we go. Um, yeah. By the 1840s, he was an old man who mm-hmm. had spent decades fighting for his people. In mm-hmm. 1843, he embarked on one last great battle, repealing the Act of Union, right? Okay. This thing that that brings Ireland into the UK. Yeah, yeah. Given total English dominance of parliament, this was not seen as possible, right? Like, leg- in a in a quote-unquote legitimate way, the English parliament is not going to vote to give up Ireland, right? Yeah, 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 um, of course not. Yeah. Yeah. But... He decides, well, fuck, I don't, I, I'm not going to try and convince a bunch of English rich assholes that Ireland ought to be free. Yeah. Um, so he, he creates what some people will say is the first modern civil disobedience campaign. Hmm. He holds a series of what are called monster meetings, which are where huge numbers of Irish people assemble to protest in favor of, of independence. The first one of these is 120,000 people, and crowd sizes grow over the course of the year that he's doing this to 300,000 to 500,000 at a meeting in Cork. By August of that year, he's a, succeeded in assembling his largest crowd yet, 750,000 people. That that's basically a tenth of the Irish population, more than that, really. And this is um, uh, 1840s, you said? Yeah, this is 1843. Hmm. He gets three quarters of a million people to gather to protest for their independence. Wow. Um, and again, there's a lot of, I, I, I went over the fact that there's a lot of stereotypes of the Irish as drunk and violent in this period. He's very aware of that. And so yeah. there's this kind of volunteer 
order police force at these protests to make sure that there's no alcohol and there's no fighting, mm. um, that people are staying absolutely in line or scrupulously abiding by the laws outside yeah. of the fact that they're gathering to, to make this protest. Um, and that makes it really hard for the British government to like stop this stuff, right? Yeah. Because there's, folks are so disciplined. They have trouble finding kind of an end to blow this movement up. Yeah. Um, and and it's this is a real problem because like, you know, when you've got 750,000 people assembling for something, well, that's potentially a military issue, right? If you can get 750,000 yeah. yeah. folks together for anything, you could cause some problems yeah. for the government, yeah. you know? Like, that's a lot of motherfuckers. That's a lot today. Yeah. There was a fucking protest in the U.S. with 750,000 people. That's a gang people. of people. Yeah. That's some shit could could go down. Obviously, yeah. we, we had like that many people out in the street just try to stop the Iraq war and it did nothing. But yeah. it could it could mean could something. Could have. Yeah. It's a I lot of folks. Was, uh, if, if, if they was up on... Uh, the British was up on just, you know, this, oh, no, it hadn't invented yet, but I'm like, no, oh, what's like, up with the tear gas? I was like, y'all could have just yeah. do what you do now, which is just, well, no matter what we are what building to that prop. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it is like, I think if you wanted to, if there were a comparable civil disobedience movement in the United States, it would be, it would, it would be putting 20 or 30 million people into the streets in a single location. Dang. Which wow. I, I don't think could happen logistically. Like we yeah. don't have the roads for that. Yeah, it's not obviously a, it's not a roads for it. Yeah, but it's it. This is a this is huge. That's crazy. So o O'Connell plans to ho hold his most critical meeting on October eighth in Clontarf near Dublin. Uh, by this point, the powers that be have grown terrified of what O'Connell is assembling. Mm -hmm. um, so his, you know. They have trouble because the meetings are peaceful, but on October in October of eighteen forty three, they decide, well, fuck it. Like I don't care. Like we don't, we're not going to care anymore. We're not going to pretend to care that he's followed the rules. Yeah, um, there it is. I, the Irish do not have a right to organize there for independence. Yeah. So they ban his meeting, and then they gather an army and they sail warships into the port and train long-range cannons on the meeting site and say, "If you gather, if you get a million we people together, we are going to shell you with naval artillery." Yeah. We um, yeah, we're not just like we are shooting guns into a yeah. crowd. We will pound you with bombs. Like, That's, uh, yeah. Wow. The length. Yeah. The length so, will go. Yeah. O'Connell has a choice here. And it's a choice that a lot of civil di disobedience campaigners have had. It's the choice Martin Luther King made versions of where it's uh -huh. like, okay, if we assemble peacefully here, they're going to fuck a lot of people up. Yeah. Do we do it? And he decides no. He mm -hmm. decides not to risk those lives and he cancels the meeting. Um, he gets arrested. He serves four months in prison for conspiracy. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he refuses to push the British government to force them to either put up or shut up, a lot of future Irish activists are going to see this as evidence that, like, peaceful protest doesn't work. Yeah. Right? This is a big part of, like, why the things that happen, the 1916 mm -hmm. rising, yeah. why the decades and decades of insurgent terrorism and stuff, like, a lot yeah. of them will point back to O'Connell and be like, we, we, we tried. Yeah. Like people tried to do this yeah. peacefully and and you threatened to kill us. So what else what are, what are the options? I guess we'll make bombs. I, I, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like That's where you went, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um wow. I'm always so, like I'm always leery like and this is just my own sort of baggage. I'm always leery when I hear like, you know, a book say this dude was the first version of something, especially when yeah. it's like a white dude when I'm like, uh, I don't know. But I, I, that being said, this I when you said O'Connell, like a lot of like things from my black studies, like started yeah. popping up of like, no, wait, we 
we talk about him often. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know the story till just now, but, I, yeah. but his name like rang a lot of bells for me. And it's what I try to be clear here that like you will, historians will claim that I'm not yeah. an expert. Yeah, of course. Like I can't comprehensively say no one else ever tried anything like this. I'm yeah, not no, an expert, I'm not, I'm not like, calling you on that. I'm, he he just, does get credit from a lot of people for this. Yeah. He's certainly like a seminal figure in the concept of nonviolent of mass course. resistance. Yeah. No, um, but yeah, this, 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 I, yeah, like I, this is one of those dope moments on this show where like some something that you may know like vaguely kind of like mm -hmm. finally comes in view and you're like, oh, it's complicated. And, I, and in a lot of ways, like I see the way that you're describing like how he like didn't take that next step, you know, in apartheid South Africa. Like, you know, people make yep. those claims about Nelson Mandela that there was like another step he didn't take yep. and that, you know what I'm saying? And where Winnie became more radicalized you know what i'm saying and like mm -hmm. and so you have modern like activists that are like i i appreciate uh, you you took the rock far enough or didn't yeah. take the rock far enough that you took as far as you could go but look you wasn't down to shoot yeah, yeah. and this is i mean yeah. you, you'll always i, I think that's always going to be the case with everyone who yeah. does anything good within the context of like a civil rights movement there's always and anyone who is like anyone who is organizing for radical social change yeah. pretty much always hits a point where they reach the end of their personal yeah. willingness to fight for kind of radical change. Yeah. And so like, nobody's perfect. We yeah. all get that. Like there are things that we all believe right now that in a couple of generations, folks would be like, how did you put up with this though? Yeah. yeah like totally. I got, I get why you were protesting for this and this, but how, how didn't you have yeah. a problem with it? You know, that's totally. just like the march of time yes. and shit, right? Yes. Um, and I'm not like, I, I think it'd be unreasonable to condemn O'Connell for what he did. It's just not like, this is what happened, right? Like he made the call that he made and then the things that happened afterwards happened. And it's worth understanding that. And it's worth understanding that there, there is a point. I'm never going to be forgiving like the IRA for setting off a fucking bomb, bombs and random bars and shit. Like there's yeah. a lot of fucked up things that happen in the, the, the armed portion of the struggle for independence. But uh -huh. when some of those advocates go back and say like, well, we gave the nonviolent shit a try. They're not yeah. wrong. You yeah. know? Um, yeah. And that's worth, that's worth acknowledging from a historical standpoint. Mm -hmm. So that's the end of 1843. Okay. In the summer of 1845, an umasit, uh, or water mold, known today as Phytophthora infestans. That's the best I can do. I'm sorry. Like that, it's like an English na last name, you know, yeah. I'm not going to get it perfect. The last four words you said, I was like, I don't know what you just said. Alumacy? Like, yeah, it, it's a fungus, right? Okay. It starts to spread throughout Europe. Um, okay. We're not going to get into a ton of detail, because again, this is like... A, a, particularly there's a lot of coverage that'll like really blame this this fungus on all of the things that happen it's not the fungus's fault the fungus is like a thing that it, it's like it's like blaming the disaster in hurricane katrina on the, the hurricane. hurricane when it's yeah, like no when, there's, when, that's when, that's not really what guys. i'm angry about yeah. you know like yeah. the levies guys um yeah. <laughs> but like this this thing yeah. like this 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 is an important part of the story this okay. this thing starts to hit in europe right yeah um, crops start to fail. It start. It, it becomes increasingly clear that like not only is there this thing affecting potatoes all over the continent, but it's like pretty bad. It's wiping out large chunks of the harvest. Mm. Newspapers and farmers almanacs note with fear as it rampages through crops first on the continent and then in England. Uh, on August twentieth, eighteen forty-five, it is discovered for the first time in Ireland at the Dublin Royal Botanical Gardens. Obviously, it probably came somewhere else first, but you're going to notice it at the Royal Botanical Gardens first because they've got the most eyes on them. Yeah. 
The population of Ireland at this moment moment was probably close to 9 million people. You know, you're talking the 1840s. We're not as good at censuses and stuff as we would have become. Probably around 9 million people, a little bit less. Most of these people are Catholic. Three million of them are the kind of peasants that we spent a lot of this episode talking about, Uh eking out a precarious living on the land as renters, utterly dependent upon the continued productivity of the potato for their caloric needs. Yeah. Um, And that is the stage being set for what's going to happen next, which is not going to be nice. But prop, you know what is going to be nice? These these pluggables? (laughs) Well, your pluggables. Yeah, your pluggables pluggables. are very nice. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Prop hip hop. Um, prop it pop prop it pop uh yeah. that's Absolutely. uh all the socials and the website um there's the hood politics pod uh still popping and cracking and getting some uh sophie's helping me get some doper um not doper but some dope uh guests and such you know we're having Hell a good time yeah. over there and yeah yeah prop hip hop prop hip hop check it out check out you know something else yeah. Two. Check out good things. Read a book. Yeah. Uh, or um, I don't know. Find an English person and be like, "What the fuck, man? Huh? What the yeah. fuck?" Yeah. Look, look at yeah. an English person and be like, "Thanks." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go to an English bar and just like frown. Just sit in the corner and like mean mug them. Just you mean know? mug them and be like, "Give them what for? Do it hey. for O'Connell." <laughs> God and Allister, <laughs> which I learned is like almost like the the Irish like. MAGA. Yeah, be yeah, like, yeah. Forgotten Allister. Uh, there you go. Which means there you like, go. Oh, it is a little bit maggoty. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it mm-hmm. sounded cool to me because I don't know what Allister means anyway. Uh, it was, you know, it's that it, it's that Northern Irish Protestant stronghold that's kind of formed as a a colony, basically. You know, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So go colonize England. You know, that's what you actually ought to really. Do. What everybody, should everybody, is that? colonize England. <laughs> Take, yeah, All right. fuck them up. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies 
every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.